0: to pray here up front. Um, Before I start, I think that last song we sang, that was a beautiful moment that we had together. That was reverent and precious in the sight of God. hear his saints sing to him. The song Ben played for the Offertory, I think we sung it as a congregation at some point, how deep the Father's love for us. There's a little stanza in it. How great the pain of searing loss the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Just as I pray, think with me on the suffering of Christ for us that we might have life. Let's pray. Our father, your son is fairer than all the angels in the glory, the visual glory of heaven. He is our savior. He is our Lord. We gather in this place this morning with all kinds of burdens and cares of this world set upon us. Some of us are having a good day. Some of us are happy. Some of us are grieving, Father. Some of us are weary and tired. Some of us are about to quit and don't know where to turn next. Some of us don't know what the future holds, God. But You know us, you know us, and by your grace we know you. And Lord, I pray that you would empower me today to preach your word in such a way that we hear you speaking to us. May Christ shine brightly in this passage, may He shine brightly in our hearts by your Spirit. Keep us, O God, help us listen, help us believe, help us know that there is more than this, more than this life more than this world. This is the shortest time we will exist anywhere. So be with us for these days, we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. To be a Christian is not to have your life on display for others so that they can see how good of a person you are and that will encourage them to change. It's not an opportunity for us really to say something about ourselves at all. Not even about our faith per se. Being unashamed, as Romans started by telling us we must be, has nothing to do with bragging or uh, letting people know that you aren't ashamed. You don't need to do that. Why would you boast about something anyway that you didn't do anything to get and didn't earn but what was given to you by grace for free precisely because you could not earn it? Back when... uh Food stamps came in paper form. Some of you might know what I'm talking about. You get this booklet of paper food stamps. Different amounts were different colors. My mom and dad didn't walk into the grocery store waving their food stamps around so that people knew we were on them. There was no point to that. You you, you wanted to get in the store and get out, as a matter of fact, if you used food stamps because of all the funny looks you're going to get from people behind you in line and maybe from the cashier You're just thankful to be able to put food on the table. You don't brag about things you get for free. So that's not really the posture of a Christian, a proud person. In salvation, in our justification that makes us right with God, all the groceries have been provided. The meat's in the freezer. The cupboards are full. The pantry is stocked. We don't need to impress anyone. We don't carry the weight of the world on our shoulders Jesus did that. Jesus is quite capable of that. Eternity and the promises of God being kept are not hinging on our performance. Jesus has done it all so that we might be free, totally free to love people like He did. Our justification sets us free to bring the light of the love of Christ into the places and the people among which we live. We'll start in Romans chapter 13 verse 8 this morning 13 verse 8 oh no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law now paul is doing much more than saying um, now wake up and do the right thing jesus is coming that's not the point of the passage here paul is shaping our behavior by our identity by the fact that we are new creation and as such We are being transformed for our lives of worship and our various vocations and stations in life by this ongoing renewal of our minds that the Holy Spirit is doing. As new creation, right now inside the old creation, we are living sacrifices. How we serve one another in the church. Paul has been talking about this. How we act towards our enemies, those who might persecute us even. And how we are to subject ourselves to earthly authorities as those who are under God's authority. All these things are being affected. Verse 8 here is the way our whole new identity as Christians, he's summing it up now in climactic form in this one action. Love one another with no strings attached. It's by this that we are literally like Jesus in the world. Isn't it interesting that back in verse 7 we were told that we owe things. We owe taxes, revenue, respect, and honor to whom those things are due. Now in verse 8, Paul says, to owe no one anything. Now, is he contradicting himself? Not at all. He's reinforcing the fact that as Christians, we give what we are called to give to whomever we are called to give it to, so that there are no outstanding debts. And the way the Christian does this is through the love that fulfills the law. Now, that's a tall order, isn't it? Hasn't Romans been all about how we don't have to do that? Christ has done that for us. We must, first of all, remember that the fulfillment of the law before God was fully accomplished for us by Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So chapter 13, verse 8 is actually teaching us that since Christ has fulfilled the whole law for us before God, we fulfill the law now as an extension of His righteousness that's been imputed to us. We have that law-fulfilling righteousness inside of us as believers, imputed to our accounts when we love others as He commands us to do. We're no longer loving other people as normal people. We love people as saved children of God who are perfectly righteous by grace through faith before Him. Christ is doing through us What we could not do to such an extent that we fulfill the law when we love like He did. God is pleased with works like that because of Christ for us. The whole law is fulfilled by loving one another, which is why Jesus had to die. Because we can't do that. At the the root of the issue is that we cannot love one another. We cannot help but do wrong to each other. And therefore, we could never fulfill the law. Fulfilling the law isn't really about how good of a person you are and what you do and what you don't do. It's about the fact that you love people selflessly, unconditionally, expect nothing in return, and never do anything to hurt them. Most of us can't get to church on a Sunday morning without hurting somebody, even if it's by accident. The whole law is fulfilled by loving another. That's why Jesus died. And we might say, look, I love other people all the time. But not like God does. Not like God commands. A human being can't love like that. We think of love as this feeling that you have more of for other people or certain people than you have for other things. But it gets so muddled in our mind as as just this pure thing about affection for something that we love things like pizza and burritos or Ohio State. And I understand that. I know you all love Ohio State and are are on the Buckeye train. I really appreciate that. And those things are easy to love. (laughs) Some of them. But, nobody loves like God does. Nobody loves like God commands. He says in verse 9, For the commandments... So here's he's explaining how love fulfills the whole law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, any other commandment, are all summed up in this word... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is now only focusing on the horizontal aspect of how we're to love. We'll come back to that primary aspect in a few minutes. But when Jesus taught, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, that if we lust after someone, we've already committed adultery. That if we hate somebody, we've already committed murder. And that we're all basically covetous thieves who instead should be perfect as God is perfect we were hearing in that why it is that we'll never be able to fulfill the law, ever. We can't change our own natures. We aren't selfless lovers of others by nature. Therefore, we cannot fulfill the law. It's not just a matter, again, it's not just a matter of have no other gods before me. Okay, I won't worship any other gods. I'll just worship you. You'll be my God. But if we aren't loving one another, even our enemies. To the extent that Jesus did, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Do we look at the people in the world that right now are responsible for horrendous evil and think and pray like Jesus did? Is that how we feel when we see a group of people protesting or celebrating? It's it's Pride Month in America. June is Pride Month and so uh the object is to to celebrate gay pride and all that. And listen, do we as Christians look at that group of people that are sinning and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I mean I, I've I've seen some um some videos of course right now that are being posted of some homosexual folks saying some horrible things about Jesus and, you know, on talk shows and they mean it as jokes, but it's pretty blasphemous. And I I, I can't remember if I talked to the Wednesday night group or on a Sunday about what went on outside the Dodgers stadium with uh the, the gay group that was kind of sexually dancing and playing around this cross and a guy hanging on it and so horrible sins, right? But we're sinners. I'm not saying that like they're not sinning. They are sinning. It's horrible. It's blasphemy. But is it a greater blasphemy than murdering the Son of God and nailing him to a tree? And the one being murdered said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Beloved, it's, it's, what I'm arguing for is an attitude towards others that we cannot work up. That we don't have apart from Christ. And we don't have the ability to fulfill the law now in our flesh because the Spirit gives us a push that we didn't have before. The only way we can do this is by realizing that we have this. We are loved like this then we may love others as we have been loved, and in so doing, fulfill the law like Jesus did. That's how powerful the cross is. We can't change our own natures. We're turned in on ourselves, right, and against God by nature. And think if by breaking one, you're guilty of breaking all of the laws, as James 2.10 teaches then how are we ever going to fulfill the whole thing? And yet here we find in Romans 13 that because of Christ, the opposite is also true. That when we love our neighbor as Christ calls us to, doing that one thing fulfills the whole law. Right, because Christ has made us perfect before God by His righteousness being imputed to us. Now, who we are in the world are these people who are just free To love and serve others, even if it costs them their lives. And in so doing, fulfill the whole law. All the righteous requirements of the law have been met for us. Imputed to us by Jesus. Now by doing this one thing, this is how great Jesus' righteousness is. By doing one thing, we show that the law has been completely fulfilled. Beloved, God needs nothing from us. Because of Jesus for us. So He covers our debt gives us our righteousness, sets us free from all obligation to Him, so that the only people we owe now are our neighbors, which includes our enemies. We owe them everything. We owe them everything because what we have was given to us for free. And if we don't have the promise of the Gospel, we can't do anything pleasing to God. But since we do... All we do may be pleasing to God by simply loving our neighbors. You don't have to change the world. You don't have to change America. It's in God's hands. He is in control of all things. Just love the people around you and you fulfill the whole law as an extension of His righteousness. This is how and why grace working through faith is the means of good works that please God. Never our own flesh. When we try to do good works in our own flesh, we will we will usually end up focusing on the things that just make us look righteous to others, even if we're not thinking that way. So when when we're frustrated, don't we need to uh, have more information about good works? Really what we're talking about, I think I talked about this a few weeks ago, is just good works like where you won't go and what you won't say and those kinds of things. Nobody's really saying um, good works like how do we love our neighbors? How do I selflessly give myself away for somebody else? Right. But when the Bible talks about love, that's what it's talking about. In this is love, not that we love God. So whatever it is that we feel for God, that's not the definition of what love is. First John says, in this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation, a wrath-absorbing sacrifice for our sins. So that's what love actually is. So there isn't actually love as God defines it until somebody's being died for. Notice that, again, the vertical aspect of the greatest commandment in the law has been met. Paul doesn't need to address that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and all this. See, that's been addressed. Christ has loved God like that for us and imputed that to us as though we love God like that. So listen to Jesus in Matthew 22, 36-40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's where Paul is focused. What we owe God has been paid for us, accomplished for us by Christ. What we owe our neighbor is the love that God has shown us in this gospel. That is what we are here to show the world more than anything else. Look how God loves sinners. We don't bring condemnation since we ourselves deserve it. It would be weird for us to be hoping condemnation comes, and that would be the motivation of our posture and attitude towards others. We, we ought not to want anybody to go to hell. Nobody. We, we, not, it doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter who they are. And there's some horrible, wretched people in this world that do horrible wretched things and i'm not saying they aren't guilty of it i'm not saying they're not sinning i'm saying that we we ought to be so transformed by christ that we want even them to repent and come to jesus we don't bring condemnation we deserve it we bring the proclamation of sins forgiven of righteousness provided, of salvation purchased, of amnesty, we are here to say, receive this gift that God is giving. That's literally why we're here, so that that our neighbors start to say, why are you so nice to us? Why do you do kind things to us? Why do you, right? the, the community starts to say, why does that church care so much about the community? Why does, and, and is it like, like, do we crack some secret code? And if we do all that, the church. Um, You know, attendance will explode? Probably not. Right. Churches in our area have been doing wonderful things for the community for years. I think the churches in Moundsville are the are the backbone of a lot of the charitable work that is done here. Praise God. That's how it should be. Our church and others. But notice it doesn't fill the pews. We don't do it for that. Then people become a number, they become a means to an end. We just we aren't responsible for making them respond. We're responsible for loving them. So if we give them food, they're just, yeah, okay. So they take the food and go away and don't come to church. Who cares? At least their belly's full. They've been loved. The law has been fulfilled. Jesus has it all. That's how we love. We love with the Gospel. We are extensions of what Christ has done for us. Jesus didn't die for us because of what we were going to give Him if He did that. He died for us to save us completely precisely because we had nothing to give him and he knew we would never pay back what he paid for us. This is the epitome loving our neighbor like this of what it means to be living sacrifices. Right? Our our whole lives are love for our neighbor. So of course we're dying daily if we're doing this. God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. And yes, everyone is our neighbor. Don't don't be that guy. In Luke's gospel, well, exactly, who is my neighbor? Don't be. But do you know why that guy asked that question? Jesus said, or the text tells us, because he wanted to justify himself, not because he wanted to know. All right, all right. Then who do I serve? No, I want to know that who I'm okay with helping is justifying me before God. So don't be that guy. Anyone that is an other to us is to be loved. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Just just think of the whole law. The whole old covenant in the Old Testament. And why is it that love fulfills all that? Because love doesn't do wrong to a neighbor. How how could that be the basis of everything in the law? When God gave Israel the law, the Torah, He was teaching them, how they might love and serve, rather than hurt and use one another. This is what was immediately torn asunder after the fall with Cain. Immediately, the minute the vertical sundering between God and man was set, and Adam and Eve had sinned against God, the first effect of that on earth horizontally is that Cain murders his brother Abel. Right? That sin separates us from one another to the extent that we do wrong to each other, even kill each other. By this kind of love, the love of Christ that fulfills the law, all that is undone. All that is turned on its head. All that is reversed. This kind of love is precisely what you and I could never perform with genuine hearts. And for us to be loved in the first place, like God intended would take the coming of Jesus Christ to the earth to love us that way. And now that He has made us new, now that our sins have been forgiven and we've been granted His righteousness, including His perfect love for the world on the cross, that's been imputed to us. Jesus finally loved mankind like God intended mankind to love each other. We've been released from owing God by obedience or by any obedience that can save us. It's been taken care of. We we don't have to try and get God's approval anymore. That's not what Christian life is. Like God puts you at the starting line and sets you off and then getting there is up to you. We have God's approval today. Regardless of the week or the morning we've had, believer, you have God's full approval Right this moment. We fulfill the law when we believe Jesus has made us righteous and has freed us then to expend all our energy loving our neighbors rather than trying to impress God with our works. Self-obsessed, frightened, navel-gazing Christians can't love like this because they aren't free. They're trying to pay a bill that's already been paid. And that's what their hands and their energy are tied up in. Which I think is most of the church. Which is why the church isn't loving the way that Christ would have us love. You, you don't have to worry. Like like we always want to get more righteous than God. But if I love people, they won't know they're sinners. Really. Beloved, I, I think Jesus would take issue with that. Let him worry about what's perceived. Trust his method for how the world might know that we belong to him. Everything Jesus did was in service to others because he loved them. Jesus was free. He was free. He gave all and therefore owed Nothing. He did no wrong to his neighbors because he gave his very life for them. So do we understand and I know I don't want this to be insulting in light of the passage I want us to think do we really understand what it means to be a Christian? Right? It, it, it's not this like demonstration of how good of a person you are. It's not a quest to please God with your behavior Jesus. Did that. That's why we're Christians. We're we're here on earth to give the love that Jesus was giving when He was present on it to others. Do we understand what it means to be made into a living sacrifice? That's not just a metaphor. Whose life is being transformed by the love of God. As He renews our minds to think like Jesus every single day towards everyone we meet. And we hear that is a very tall order. How can I do that? We can't. The first thing the text is doing is saying, this is what you should be doing, and you're not doing it. You can't do it. So that the believer says, God, help me. Teach me the truth of the Gospel that I might love as your Son loves, as you commanded me to. And then let Him keep track of the progress, not somebody else. You won't even know The right hand won't know what the left hand is doing the closer you get to Jesus. You'll be like Paul in 1 Timothy who still thinks he's the chief of sinners. He's probably one of the finest men that ever lived after God saved him. That's what leads Paul to what he says next to close this chapter in verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Paul does not mean here, okay, it's already 2023 by the time you read this. Get to work. This this is not like a revivalistic metaphor here. It's a new day in creation. All the time. Paul is looking at all time from the perspective of the victory of Jesus Christ over sin, death, and hell 2,000 years ago. The light of this new day that the Lord made over 2,000 years ago on resurrection morning it's still that day on the earth. The clock started ticking so long ago and continues ticking as we live our lives between death and life. Verse 12, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. Yes, not just any day is at hand. That day is at hand. The day of Jesus Christ and His victory are at hand. The day of the new creation has dawned in the old creation. Salvation has been accomplished. Jesus is Lord. You know what time it is. Your sins are forgiven. Your debt is paid. You're righteous. Go give your life away loving other people. God has you. You'll be okay. That is our day, beloved. It's not the day of America or Europe or China or Russia. It's not the day of feminism or chauvinism or nationalism or LGBTQ plus or whatever agenda the world and whoever's behind all of it thinks the world needs to follow. It's not their day. The world is reeling and rocking with all this effort to unseat Jesus because Jesus has taken it over. And he's ready to return, beloved. Receive Jesus. The the new Adam, the second Adam that Paul talked about, Jesus being in Romans 5, he succeeded. A new creation has begun. Salvation has come. That's what Psalm 118.24 is talking about when it says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Read that whole psalm. Get the whole context of that psalm. That's not just any old Tuesday, which it is that too, but it's the day of salvation that it now is because Jesus is risen from the dead as our Savior. There's not a time on our clock that the worst of sinners can't be saved and rescued by Jesus because He rose from the dead, conquered sin, death, and hell 2,000 years ago and counting now. That's what day it is. The night is far gone. Satan lost a long time ago. Jesus overcame the darkness all the way back then. So stop living for yourself, Paul is saying. It's no longer the time for that. It's no longer the day of self and the day of darkness. Jesus has laid claim to this day, as long as it is called today. So then, he says in the middle of verse 12, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Right? So that, as Paul will say over in Ephesians 6, we put on the armor of God so that we can stand against the darts and schemes of the evil one whose goal it is to block out the sun and blind people and block the love of God in Christ for us. Verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime. That, that's just a call to live in light of the fact that the victory has been won. It's always day. Jesus has risen. Salvation has been purchased. We're living sacrifices. We're not dead ones in the ground. Until we are. We are in the last days since Easter morning, beloved. Since resurrection morning. That has implications for how we live. It's not just about our doctrine. We don't know that we're in the last days because we're able to check off prophecies on some chart which are always changing and always moving with the times. People were confident, because of the signs of the times, that Jesus was returning in 1988. Talk about it a lot. You can probably still buy a book. I don't know who's publishing it now, but it's called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. Somebody messed up there. But it, it looked like it. They were reading all the signs and at that time the big countries were like Iran and it just, it just changes because we're trying to live by sight and not faith. We know it's the last days because Jesus rose from the dead. The light is shining. Walk in it. Now is when we work. It's daylight. Now is when we love our neighbors is what Paul is saying. It goes on here, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness. Okay, we won't do that. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Okay, we can probably not do that. Not in quarreling and jealousy. Oh, shoot. We do that all the time. And probably mess up with the other ones too sometimes, if not all the time. Notice how the list of the works of darkness in verse 13, though, stands in such stark contrast to the commandments of God in verse 9. Verse 13 is when man decides what is good. Verse 9 is when God determines what is good. Look at those two things and ask yourself which world you'd like to live in. How loudly... Does Jesus have to yell at his church to knock off our self-centered, self-serving nonsense? When the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write about the works of darkness, he lists a bunch of nasty sexual sins and drunkenness that few of us probably struggle with in our context. But then he says quarreling and jealousy. Really? Paul, that's just everyday life with people. Well, yeah. Knock that off. When... Jesus told us that the world would know His disciples by their love. He really meant that. Right? We like to blame the culture for the, the, you know, the invisibility of the church. Why don't we look at ourselves first? They don't know us as a people that love one another. They see us split. They see how many churches there are in Moundsville. You guys can't even agree among yourselves, they say. When we are entrenched in quarreling and jealousy, the rotten complaining, a wish. the Lord loathed the Israelites' generation in the wilderness because they whined all the time and complained all the time. Loathed them, the Bible says. The murmuring, griping, gossiping attitude of so many in the church without a hint of responsibility or repentance, by the way. that People never come forward and say, I've been spreading lies, forgive me. I've been complaining and running people down behind their back. Forgive me. Nobody does that. When we do those things, we are doing wrong to our neighbors in verse 10, wallowing in the unfruitful works of darkness in verse 12, and according to Jesus in John thirteen thirty-five, keeping anyone from seeing where the light is. By our lack of love, we keep the world in darkness. The more time we spend obsessing over what other people are doing, the less time we have to love one another, and the less likely the church will ever actually be seen as the church. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the difference. You have yourself on in verse 13. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, not even a little, to gratify its desires. I don't think orgies and drunkenness are a big deal for our church. I don't think sexual immorality and sensuality are the big sins in our church. I think quarreling that comes from certain people not always getting their way is a huge problem in our church that eats away at its foundation like termites. I think jealousy over where the attention goes is a huge problem in our church. Maybe this is why God has us in Romans in this season. Maybe I'm talking to you this morning Maybe you need to repent and walk properly as in the daytime. Maybe you're the one that needs to stop making provisions and excuses for your flesh in order to gratify what are nothing more really than just your own desires. Verse 13 is the bookend of verse 8. Owe no one anything. Well, what's that like? Put on Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. The opposite of all this, the foil to all this darkness, is the light of love. Paul tells us in a different way here in verse 14 that we're living sacrifices to God. As our whole lives are worshipped to Him. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you've died. The you that was born on earth doesn't exist anymore in a sense. Drape Christ over yourself now. Love as He loved and you will fulfill the law. The world, our families, they don't need to see us striving to reach perfection. And we don't, why would we want people to think that that's what, that's how you get God's approval? The world and our families need to see the love of Christ as we bring Him to them in our self-forgetful service. The time for living for ourselves in the darkness and the chaos it creates ended just over 2,000 years ago. You and I don't live in that world anymore. We've become strangers to it, but God has left us in it, hasn't He? Some of you think you can't serve God like this anymore. You can't do something as big as fulfill the law by loving your neighbor because maybe your body doesn't let you even barely get out of your house. Beloved, you fulfill the law because of Christ when you love whomever is in front of you. You are not second class. You are not worthless. You are not, not pulling your weight. Jesus doesn't walk the earth anymore in his human body, but we do. So what will it take for us to love like Jesus Christ? What will it take for us to bring the light of love to our world? Paul spent 11 chapters here, has spent 11 chapters telling us how powerful the gospel of Jesus Christ is to justify sinners and make them righteous before God by grace that works through faith, apart from any works of our own. Then we learned in verse chapter 12 that by his work, God makes us living sacrifices to Himself so that our whole lives, our vocations and stations in life, the roles we have, husband, wife, child, citizen, teacher, student, mom, dad, employee, boss, church member, etc. These are all now sanctified avenues of worship to God. There are two kinds of righteousness if we wanted to break it down this far. The first is righteousness corin The saying is before God. Before God we're justified forgiven perfectly righteous fully accepted before God the righteousness required of us has been provided by Jesus Christ and it is finished full stop then as human beings on the earth there is righteousness coramundo, mundo the saying is before the world the people we know in our lives the people we love the people we work with and hear about on tv and see out in public etc cetera, etc cetera, that have Not receive God's salvation, maybe. These people are the ones that don't have God's righteousness making them perfect before God. These are the ones who know only how to live for themselves. They carry the weight of their own sin and the sin that's been done to them. The burden of guilt and the fear of death and the slavery that comes from it and all the things that go along with it. And then, when we think about our neighbors, we also have to think about our brothers and sisters, of course, in the body of Christ. They know the truth like we do, but sometimes they doubt. Sometimes your pastor doubts and gets frustrated and doesn't understand what God is doing. Doesn't understand what's happening in his own life sometimes. Doesn't understand why it seems like God is piling on other people. Sometimes I need you to love me like I'm called to love you. Sometimes... Our brothers and sisters in Christ have needs. Sometimes they're afraid or caught up in sin and all kinds of problems. We owe them both. We owe the world the exact same thing. The love of God in Christ. And in Christ, that's all we should owe them. Don't hurt others and owe them an apology. Right? Don't hate others and owe them kindness. Kindness. Don't use others and owe them restitution. Beloved, the lives we live horizontally before our neighbors, including our enemies, will only be fulfilling the law to the degree that we each embrace our freedom in Christ. Don't hear first, go love and fulfill the law. Hear first the gospel. None of our energy has to be expended trying to make God happy and look good and look put together to other people. Let that go. You have God's approval. You don't need anyone else's. Let it go. It just makes us use people. One of the very reasons Jesus did all the work for us before God was so that we would be free to do the work for people on earth. If I put on a gorilla costume, I'm not gonna walk around talking normal. I'm gonna be acting like a gorilla. I don't know why gorilla is what I came up with, but that's what I was thinking of when I thought of putting on a costume. Beloved, you have Jesus. We have Jesus. Put him on. Just put the gospel in front of you, like Jesus is standing in front of you, over you, draped over you. We don't make provision for our flesh to gratify its desires. We we are living sacrifices. We make provision in our lives for Jesus that we might do His will because He still loves the world. And that includes our neighbors and our enemies. God means for us to be completely free to love others. When when you're hearing these commands of how not to live, it's, it's not that Jesus can't deal with our immorality. Jesus just can't deal with it if we still sin and we still have sensuality and pride and love of self. Jesus can't deal with that. It hurts His feelings, so stop it. No. The cross is where Jesus dealt with all that and all the guilt and the shame that comes with it. It's that all these sins are the result of living for ourselves to gratify our own flesh when each of us has been laid claim to by God. It's the daytime now because He's done that. Put on Christ. Love one another. This text is the epitome of what it means to be a living sacrifice. It's the epitome of where the rubber really meets the road in such a command. Our justification sets us free to bring the light of the love of Christ into the places and the people among which we live. To have Christ as savior is to be a new creation. Shine the light of love. You are free. Beloved, you're free. It's finished. All is well. All will be settled. All praise and glory to Jesus.